Hi guys, my name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And this is Growing Up Skywalker. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Today we have reached a very important milestone. We are transitioning for the moment from film to television. Begun the Clone War has. Begun the Clone War has. So we are talking today about two episodes of the Clone Wars TV series, which premiered, I believe, in 2009. Yeah, the movie came out in 2008, and then there were six seasons of the TV series, and then I believe in either 2019, season seven of the Clone Wars came out. Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. In our chronological rewatch, we are actually skipping through the seasons So the first episode that we're talking about today is season two, episode 16. It's called Cat and Mouse. Mm -hmm. And then we're also talking about season one, episode 16, Hidden Enemy. So both of these are sort of the arc of the Battle of Christophsis, which is a crystal planet. And this is before Anakin takes on a Padawan, and it is very early in the Clone Wars. Right, so one of my favorite characters has not appeared on the scene yet, Mm -hmm. but we do get some really prime Obi-Wan-Anakin energy. We get introduced to the illustration style of this new piece of media. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. Should we talk about the Clone Wars TV series first? Yeah, this is... So this is kind of the line where you jump from being like a, you know, a normal Star Wars person. You're like, oh yeah, I've seen all the movies, to... I've seen the shows as well. Mm. And so first of all, there's two topics I want to cover with that. One of them is we're, as you said, not doing them in release order, which would start with season one, episode one, Mm -hmm. Ambush, or with the 2008, the Clone Wars theatrical release movie. Mm -hmm. That comes right after this. But we are doing them in strict chronological order. So the Battle of Christosis. Now, as a TV series, because it's animated, in my mind, it lets us have some really wonderful star wars action in a way that is too expensive to do in the movies yeah absolutely so i guess the first question is why are we watching the clone wars what are we going to get out of this i've heard the clone wars described in a way where every single episode tells one small part of an incredible story Ooh, and i think that's very true you really can't skip any of them, even like the Jar Jar and C-3PO episodes, because there's important plot information going on in there. Mm-hmm. The Clone Wars TV series covers the Clone War, which was three years long in universe. And that's a really significant time, because if you just watch from episode two to episode three, all of a sudden, it's it's as if a war has been going on, and, and all of a sudden, it's over... Coruscant and craziness is happening. Yeah, this is how I first saw episode two and episode three. And I I have a feeling that there were a lot of plot events in episode three that did not have the emotional resonance that they probably could have had if you had succeeded in forcing me to watch the Clone Wars in between episodes two and three, which you did not. Yes. Because I'm stubborn. And because it is a commitment to watch seven seasons of like 20 episodes a season a few uh less in the later three seasons yeah there are 127 episodes of the clone wars all told so we're kind of anticipating spending a year yeah (laughs) question mark so we're glad to have you along with this we are i have something that i want to say i have a psa about the clone wars so sam knows that 
I felt a lot of resistance but uh, <laughs> to watching the Clone Wars when I first met him. And I'm not totally sure why. I watched a couple episodes with you. I, I think what I was picking up on is that because these are such short episodes, they're like 20 to 25 minutes mm-hmm. and they're animated and they move so quickly and a lot of really emotionally impactful things happen and a lot of horrific things happen in this animated show that maybe felt like they weren't given the, what am I trying to say? They weren't given the emotional impact that they, they deserved. Or perhaps the time to blossom in the yeah. in the medium. Yeah, and the characters are going through some kind of traumatic stuff. And it felt like the scene closes, the episode ends, the triumphant music plays, and then they're just back at it again the next episode. Yeah. That was really hard to watch. It is. Uh, I'd like to point out for our listeners at home that uh, off off screen here, Anna has watched through partially through season two of the Clone Wars, most of the way through season yeah. two. So, for those of you who have watched it, she's in for a roller coaster. Uh, yeah, apparently, I don't know anything <laughs> about this. Anyway, I had a moment in season one mm-hmm. that started making me feel that the Clone Wars was a worthy investment of my time. And then I had a real sea change in season two with an episode that deals with some characters that I personally really feel close with Mm -hmm. and really relate to. And that just changed my mind and kind of sold me on the whole Clone Wars debacle, (laughs) the Clone Wars experience. Yeah, the Clone Wars experience, because that's what it is. It's an experience to watch all these things because of the emotional highs and lows Mm -hmm. and because of the background information that's brought in. Additionally, this is where David Filoni, who is the showrunner, producer, director for a lot of the other Star Wars TV series, including The Mandalorian, which I know you love. Love is such an understatement, (laughs) but I'll accept that. But this is where he was an integral part of the Clone Wars, his character introductions. So pulling it away from the large cinematic experience into a small screen and having it be that action is free makes things really interesting. And I'm super excited. Yeah. To finish up my PSA, I would just say, if you are resistant to watching the Clone Wars, if you have someone that you want to watch the Clone Wars with you, just tell them to hang on. Even from the beginning, the colors are beautiful, the action scenes are amazing, the characterization is really well done, and if they can just hang on, I think they will find a moment, like I had, that convinces them to buckle in for the ride and see this all the way through. So, hang tight. And to add on to that a teeny bit, although we are watching them in chronological order, I don't think you lose very much at all by watching them in release order. Mm -hmm. There's, There's no harm to be done there, so... Uh, This is just telling the story of the Clone War. So Mm -hmm. you want to jump in? Yeah, let's talk about what happens in Season 2, Episode 16, Cat and Mouse. So what's our plot, Sam? Uh, This this episode's a lot of fun. We start out, and it is immediate action. And first of all, you notice that it sounds like a World War II propaganda film. Okay, first of all, there's the theme music, which I will say was the inspiration for our theme music for this podcast for me. Mm -hmm. Adventurous thrilling heart pounding very exciting very star wars yeah and it's very quick it's just a little stinger it is and then every episode has a little uh fortune fortune cookie cookie. do you want to know what our fortune cookie was for this episode what is it a wise leader knows when to follow 
folks, this is the blue text that appears on the screen before every episode. Mm-hmm. My headcanon is that this is Yoda, like teaching the younglings. <laughs> and this is like the lesson of the day. Yeah. So this is the lesson of the episode. So the episode starts off and there is a blockade around the planet of Christophsis. And Anakin Skywalker and his fleet with Admiral Ularin, Wolf Ularin, are trying to break the blockade. They charge in and the enemy ship, which is just this big, mean-looking thing, it is uh, an invincible class, I believe, just charges forward and starts shooting him up and his cruisers are getting shot to hell and you already know that they're in trouble. Everyone's like, we need to retreat. We're having trouble. Obi-Wan shows up with a backup and says, retreat, I have a secret weapon. Mm. Which, which he's saying to Anakin, right? Yes. Yeah. So Anakin was perfectly willing to charge in there and you know spend lives like Candy until he got what he wanted. But Obi-Wan says, we have a secret weapon. Obi-Wan brings him to his ship and shows off nothing, but it turns out it is an invisible ship. Mm. Yes, it is a cloaked ship. It's quite small. Very easy to animate an invisible ship. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what they did back in like the 60s with Wonder Woman. They're like, oh, it's an invisible oh jet. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Anakin climbs aboard this thing. And right as he's getting ready to go, Admiral Ularin, who is very important. Be- he is the... A uh, middle-aged looking, really serious looking guy. Yes. And he uh, also is voiced by the same person who does the propaganda reel at the beginning saying, Oh. Blockade over Christophsis. He's got this very mid-Atlantic accent. Mm-hmm. And he's very much fulfilling the role of the elder statesman. Mm-hmm. He is importantly not a clone. Yes. I think that's that's very important to have like a named character who's not a Jedi, not a clone, Kind of few and far between in this series, and he is one of them. So we should mention that if you watch the Clone Wars TV series in release order, the very first episode is really clone-centric. Mm-hmm. But since we're watching in chronological order, there is less to establish about the role of the clones in this episode. So the first time we see the clones, they don't even speak. It's really an Anakin, Admiral Ularin scene. There's a little bit of it. As they're climbing aboard the ship, uh, they bring on a rookie. Mm-hmm. spark yeah spark and they're in this thing and it's like a submarine they're sitting next to each other they're on these consoles it's very much a submarine movie mm-hmm. because they're going to take much needed food supplies to the planet which is Christophsis, which is being bombarded and importantly bail organa senator yeah. bail organa is there on the planet which i paused and i looked over at sam and i was like is that leia's dad yes he's also was in all the movies yeah well not the original trilogy and the sequels but he's in all the prequels he's an important character for lots of reasons he's one of padme's dearest friends Mm -hmm. so spark is brought on board as a rookie and other clones say or the other clone who's next to him whose name i don't know if we ever catch is like oh yeah you got to fill in for one of our one of our main dudes yeah spark just shows up to his first day of work Mm -hmm. He's got really cute paint on his armor, like a little spark star design. Mm -hmm. Very adorable. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to note. We see at this point in our watch through, we've not seen anything that differentiates the clones. Mm -hmm. And this this time we do. This arc is making some very interesting points about the individualization of clones. Mm -hmm. But anyway, let's get back to the plot. So 
Uh, Anakin is tasked with bringing relief supplies to the Bail defense. Organa. Mm-hmm. And he's going along and he's like, we can take out this ship. So he hides and we find that Admiral Trench, who is this Ooh. enormous, spooky spider dude. Oh, I, I skipped something. The reason that Admiral Yularen jumped along is because he recognized that the capital ship was Admiral Trench's ship, who he fought at the Battle of Malastar Narrows. Oh, yeah. And that's why Admiral Yularen volunteered to come along as an advisor. Because they thought Admiral Trench had died. Yes. He's back from the dead. He's back from the dead. Back in black. <laughs> back in eight legs. And oh, God, he's so gross. He's, he's great. His character design gives me the heebie-jeebies in a very compelling way. So props to the animators. (laughs) So they're flying along. Admiral Trench says it's weird that they've fallen back. Send down the hyena bombers. It's the first time we see hyena bombers to go bomb the position. Anakin sits there and the hyena bombers fly super close to him, but they learn the cloaking device, in fact, works. Mm -hmm. So Anakin decides to move in and try to attack Trench's ship. Mm Mm-hmm importantly very much to the chagrin of obi-wan who once again has that dynamic of cautioning Mm -hmm. anakin to just focus on the small part of the greater mission and succeed whereas anakin is very much focused on the big bold innovative approach to do everything that he wants to do yes he's always on the attack as one clone says to sparks yeah the the elder clone says to (laughs) i'm gonna call him sparky i just think his name should be sparky uh, you learn pretty quick under General Skywalker. You're always on the offensive. Mm-hmm. So the shields just, or the missiles that Anakin fires just impact on the shields and Trench realizes that he they have a cloaked ship and then he just shoots the sky full of lasers and doesn't see an explosion. And so he sends out a broadcast and he says, I know there's a Jedi flying that ship. Yeah, the amount of insight that he shows in that moment Trench is a really, not only is he scary because he's a giant spider creature, but he seems really canny and really smart. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy that he is able to deduce that he is up against a Jedi and in such a small piece of characterization. Right. So Anakin flies around, decides to fire another missile because he recognizes, he's told from Yularen and from Obi-Wan that trench has fought cloaked ships before he deduces that he's using a magnetic lock to track the ships Mm. so anakin fires another spread of missiles cloaks and when trench fires his seeker missiles which will track the magnetic ship and his uh, ti-99 combat calculator next to him is like our shields will be down uh trench is like don't worry about it but Anakin flies super close to the bridge. He like skims the, mm-hmm. I think, he, there's some metal shavings. some paint. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the missiles hit the bridge, blowing up Trench and TI-99. And that's the episode. They land, they uh, they rescue, and it's, it's cut to credits. Yeah, Anakin is just super contrite after. Anakin is basically like, have fun. I'll be delivering the supplies to Chrysophsis like you told me to. And that's the episode. So the next bit of the Christopsis arc is Hidden Enemy, Season 1, Episode 16. Do you have the fortune cookie for that one? I do. Let's see. Truth enlightens the mind, but won't always bring happiness to your heart. That, I guess that one makes sense. Yeah, unfortunately, this one deals with uh, 
Some tough subjects. This is actually my least favorite Clone Wars episode so far, so I was really reluctant to rewatch this one. As soon as I pulled up the episode and realized which one it was, I was just really bummed out, y'all. <laughs> there's some there's some tough stuff to to sift through in this one, but what happens? So we start out and Obi-Wan and his attack brigade and Anakin are in two towers on the beautiful crystal planet of Christopsis. Mm-hmm. They see a battalion of droids headed their way with tanks, and they're apparently ready to perform some ambush when all of a sudden Obi-Wan is attacked because a bunch of droids like show up on the elevator right behind him. Ah. And so they are completely compromised. Anakin calls for an extraction on the other tower that he's not in. Rex is like, you realize we're not on that tower, right? There's a peak Anakin moment where Anakin just slices through the glass like with his lightsaber and blows out the window and zip lines to the other tower. Shows up behind the battle droids, chops through a bunch of them like just mechanically. Oh my god. And he's like, what's up, Obi-Wan? And Obi-Wan's like, how'd you get here? He's like, I improvised. It's literally so great. That's what makes Anakin just tons of fun because he's just like, he thinks fast. And he resolves he resolves situations in a fast way. He he I can see in my personal life a lot of like that is a trait I like to think I have, mm-hmm. and it does have its downsides as well. But uh, the way Anakin does things is is very cool. One of my favorite parts about this battle scene is that one of the clones pops off the head of the tactical droid, which. Uh, hate the tactical droids so much <laughs> she sees ti 99 once and she's like i hate their stupid eyes and their stupid smiles their stupid, and their stupid smug voice. faces anyway this sent me over the moon when the clone <laughs> like steals the droid head and then they plug it in and find out that the separatists had all of their intel yes. so there is a leak somewhere in the midst mm-hmm. of the ship wherever they are wherever they are yeah they're they're on a forward base on christophsis mm-hmm. some beachhead somewhere So Anakin and Obi-Wan get on speeders and jet off into the enemy encampment to figure out what's going on, leaving Cody and Rex. Oh, is that who they are? mm -hmm. So Rex is commander of the 501st, and he, so the 501st is Anakin's division battalion. And Cody is the leader of the 212th attack brigade, which is Obi-Wan's. It was interesting to me. There's like a war room scene, Mm -hmm. a war council scene where Obi-Wan and Anakin outrank even the highest ranking clones. Yes, uh, according to just the way it worked in the Clone Wars, every Jedi was a general, Mm -hmm. and Padawans were commanders. Which is a really high ranking for a Padawan. It really, really is. It harkens back a little bit to, like the concept of like a green lieutenant during world war ii Mm. or vietnam war Mm. where you have someone who's like 18 and just out of officer school and they're working under a sergeant who has lots of years of experience that's actually really addressed in the third part of the battle of christophsis which is in the movie which we're going to talk about next episode very cool so obi-wan and anakin jet off into the sunset and they see that they're being tracked by droids meanwhile Cody and Rex realize that they've been spied on. They chase down someone around the corner who was listening in on their comms mm-hmm. to the mess hall, and they see only brothers, only clones are there. Ooh, which I love that they call each other brothers. 
Yeah. But they're able to locate the problem down to Slick's barracks. And mm-hmm. Slick is another commanding officer. Yeah, he commands a platoon. So he's okay. got like eight guys under him. And so they, with R2's help, they figured that out. And so they get to Slick's barracks. They question each one. You notice that each clone is extremely different. Okay, I was going to ask how many clone designs do you think the illustrators had to come up with? Because there's some very unique facial hair happening to differentiate (laughs) all of the clones. We see a faux hawk clone. Mm -hmm. We see a clone who like buzzed all his hair off and bleached it. Mm -hmm. So there's some cool stuff going on. Yeah. Then then there's Slick who has like a a flat top thing going on. Mm Mm-hmm. So they go one by one asking for alibis. Mm-hmm. And they find one of them who has been, he was stringing together battle droid fingers. Which is, I think we would be more deeply concerned about that behavior if it wasn't like pieces of metal. If those were actual toes of actual enemies, I think De- we'd be really freaked out. Definitely. But it's still not the kind of behavior that you want to have uh, or to allow. But by accusing this clone, whose name is Chopper. Right. Rex and Cody. Cody are able to actually catch Slick in a lie. Because Slick says, wait till the Jedi come back. And the only people who knew that the Jedi were gone were Cody, Rex, and the infiltrator. Right, right. Like, wait, like Chopper, wait to explain yourself until the Jedi come back. And then Cody and Rex are like, how did you know mm-hmm. that the Jedi were gone? There's a compelling fist fight between clones. Well, there's some really fascinating tension that we can talk about later but anyway there's a really confrontational scene and then slick blows up the weapons depot down on christophsis yes meanwhile obi-wan and anakin are dueling asajj ventress and this is the first time we've met asajj ventress Mm. so they show up asajj ventress sits there she takes off her robe and you see a skinny bald purple babe and obi-wan like eye bangs her it's a little yeah here's the thing asajj's character design is like maybe not it but she like clearly has some history with obi-wan she pulls the obi-wan move she like throws off her cloak ready to battle and obi-wan like gives her the the one too like the once over it's very (laughs) funny so they start fighting and ventress proves to be an excellent fighter so we can assume she's a dark side user she does right? have the red lightsabers and yeah. the spooky face tattoos and yeah she's like working for the separatists vicious. she is she also has two curved lightsabers which indicates that she was trained by count dooku because he mm. also has a curved lightsaber which is basically only because christopher lee was used to using a rapier but hmm. you know they have a big fight and at the same time that the motor pool and the weapons depot are being blown up we see that uh, Ventress is like, well, my plan has worked out. All I really need to do is separate you out so I could blow up your weapons depot. They fight down. They have a free fall fight down the side of a building on a huge tripod robot. Whoa. It's very cool. And then they land and Anakin and Obi-Wan are going to have to make an escape from a massive separatist army, which has been built up to wreck up the now defenseless clones on Christophsis. Mm. And that's pretty much the episode. Mm-hmm. The ending line is, the fight goes on, gentlemen, is what Anakin says. Yeah, and that's basically the first two-thirds of the Battle of Christosis. So it's going to conclude in the Clone Wars movie and then move on to other areas. But we separated that out for reasons. Okay, so let's talk about this episode. 
Actually, let's talk about the illustration style of the Clone Wars. Because we moved from live action movie to like fine art illustration in this TV series, kind of. How would you classify this illustration style? There's an interesting historical thing here. One of the non-canon shows, which uh, we might watch for Patreon, is the Tartakovsky shows, which are done in his style, which is the style of Samurai Jack on Cartoon Network, if you've ever seen that, and a few other shows which is a very 2D hand-drawn animated style. This is 3D full CGI, and there exists footage of things in progress, mm. and you'll have like people just kind of T-posing through their like scenes and like moving very mechanically. Mm. So I don't know the exact technology that they use to animate it, but it, it is 3D. It is pretty cool. It lets you have really interesting characterizations mm-hmm. with the characters. I feel a little cheated that we didn't start with the pilot because it's clearly, you know, setting a standard for the show, which is like colorful and mesmerizing. The colors in these two episodes were a little muted. It was a little less visually exciting for me mm-hmm. than the pilot, even though there were some really amazing uh, battle scenes. Yes, the Planet of Christophsis has an interesting look to it that I really appreciate. Yeah, it's beautiful and expansive. There's a grand scale that I think we see in episodes one and two, but it is probably very expensive to produce. Whereas for illustrators to make Christophsis have a sweeping horizon and tall buildings and, you know, these beautiful jewel tones is, you know, just part of the day, Mm -hmm. just the day's work. Yeah. I want to talk about how Obi-Wan and Anakin have aged up quite a bit. At least they seem that way. Obi-Wan seems about the same as he did in episode two. Anakin definitely seems like he's aged up or at least grown his hair out. Yeah. Um, the, the costume design is the same. Well, sort of. They're wearing armor. They are wearing armor. Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. It's a very specific just sort of uh, van braces and shoulder pads armor that they're both wearing. It's a, it's a good look. And Rex and Cody also wear specific armor with sort of combat skirts. And they have cool stuff like um, mm-hmm. over-the-shoulder things to show that they're special. So already the tone is a little bit different than episode two because Anakin looks taller. He's filled out a little bit. His cockiness has kind of turned into confidence at this point. His posture is different. The way that he exerts his authority is different. Like, I I felt immediately stepping into this episode that we were not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, and that shows the aging effects of war. Mm. There's significant bodies of work about that that are difficult to read or understand in the real world sometimes. Uh, War by Sebastian Younger, anything like that, you're left with like a really tough view of what happens to young men who go to war and that is what anakin is you know he's Mm. 19 20 years old maybe wow he looks older than that he does and he has powered through and is now leading a group of men whose lives he's responsible for throughout both of these but he's surprisingly willing to spend vol's lives too especially in cat and mouse Yeah, when you think about the fortune cookie at the beginning of the episode, a wise leader knows when to follow. Mm -hmm. The thing is that Anakin 
only follows about 20% of the orders that he's given in this episode. So I was like, is this fortune cookie throwing shade? Is this fortune cookie telling us that Anakin is not a wise leader? It is a running joke through the whole Clone Wars that whenever anyone like disobeys orders, they're like, ah, Anakin must have trained him. So <laughs> yeah, he is, he's not good at that, but he gets stuff done because he's extremely gifted. Yes. What did you learn from your watch through of this as far as like the Clone Wars themselves? Oh my gosh. Well, I had a question about the driving force of this plot, which is that we're thrown immediately into this war scene, right? Like the separatist forces are trying to take over Christophsis. Mm -hmm. Are we supposed to assume that they... The separatists might have tried to parlay with Christophsis or try to sway them to their side? Or is it really their tactic to just scorch and burn planets for their own gain? So the separatists are built of a whole bunch of planets from all over. Mm -hmm. A lot in the Outer Rim and a lot in the Mid Rim. The early part of the Clone War deals with controlling the trade lanes Mm. so that the Republic can move their people in and out. It's basically Christophsis is a very important tactical world for moving the forces. And so at this point of the war, the Republic has its first delivery of clones and it cannot get more deliveries of clones. So they have to establish beachheads on these planets so that they can move people past them Mm -hmm. and materiel so that Mm -hmm. they can have an army to persecute the rest of this war. Otherwise they're going to lose. Wow. And that's sort of the whole war is moving back and forth, trying to control major trade lanes and move various pieces into place so that the separatists aren't able to have their industrial capacity because that's all they really need. They have a droid army and the Republic is either unable to have their clones or, unable to stop the separatists. Mm-hmm. I think what I learned was not so much about the scope and scale of the Clone Wars, because this is kind of an isolated arc. Mm-hmm. These two episodes were really just in and around Christophsis. Yeah. But I did learn quite a bit about how the Clone Wars as a TV series wants to treat the individualization and the humanization of the clones that is a really compelling part of the clones Mm -hmm. i know in our first partial watch through of this you don't really like the clone episodes well i mean you know i i'm still forming my star wars opinions i'm a neophyte the clones have these really in-depth personalities and it took this tv series to bring that to the fore and it really humanizes that them in a way that's really meaningful for the whole thing. This also shows the friendship between Obi-Wan and Anakin that the movies don't show as well. When you go directly from episode two to episode three, you see like a really rocky relationship. Mm. And then you see that relationship go really bad. Mm. But um, the love and the friendship and the brotherhood is not there. 
But when you watch the Clone Wars, you see how Anakin and Obi-Wan were absolutely battle brothers. Yeah. Although, did you see a lot of that in these two episodes? Because I thought that this was a really direct continuation from episode two, Obi-Wan and Anakin, to now the Clone Wars, Obi-Wan and Anakin, where they had a really similar dynamic going on. Yes. Well, I mean, that's kind of the point is you start out this way, and this is very early in the war. Yeah, so Anakin still calls Obi-Wan Master, although it is evident that he's now a Jedi Knight, so he's yes. done his trial. Yes. How long do you think it's been from Episode 2 now to the Clone Wars? Like a year? Less than that. Less than a year? Yeah. I think it's been long enough for Anakin to grow his hair out. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. I think he's taken the trials, he's grown his hair out, and that's it. Wow. So no time at all. No, because the war was on. You know, at the end of the last episode, you have Count Dooku flying off into the sunset. You have all these crazy things going on. You have the Geonosians being shot to hell by the clones. And it's like, Anakin secretly marrying Padme. Yeah. Oh. So it's, it's on. Wow. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So there's also a really interesting thing that I picked up on. This is also not specific to the Clone Wars, but this is specific to the characterization of Anakin in the Clone Wars, Mm -hmm. where Anakin continues to get a lot of positive reinforcement for his reckless behavior. So, okay, no, I have receipts. Let me tell you. No, no, I'm agreeing with you. Yes. That is unfortunately his character arc is he very rarely has negative consequences that he cannot resolve. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Let me let me explain myself. So at the end of Hidden Enemy, which is the second episode that we watched, Anakin has successfully blown up Admiral Trench's ship. He's successfully delivered supplies to the refugee command center and to mm-hmm. Bail Organa. Bail tells Anakin, you saved a lot of lives today. Mm-hmm. And then he mentions that Chancellor Palpatine... Uh, often compliments Anakin's original thinking. And it was so striking and so clear to me that Anakin can do whatever he wants. And as long as he gets the job done and not too many people, clones, die, he's going to get positive reinforcement at the end of the day, which is going to continue to make him believe that his way forward is a correct way or the correct way. You know, it's very interesting when you put it in that perspective, because I'm reminded of several of the bad Roman emperors. Ooh, which ones? Like Nero. Is he the fiddle while the world burns one? While Rome burned, yeah. So the bad emperors of Rome were people who were raised to that they did no wrong. Mm. Every part of everything that they did was worthy of a parade. And like... Because of the scope of the world at that time, they're often called upon to go persecute a war somewhere. Mm. And then they came. And because the Roman Empire was a military powerhouse and they'd be like, oh, yes, we're going to go kill some Gallic people in France. They come back and it's like, ah, yes, you've done great. Even if they killed 90% of their men or they had to decimate their own men. It's like, yep, you did good. You got the results. Yeah, I mean, this is Anakin's birthright. His mom, Shmi, raised him this way. She imparted him with a lot of really good qualities as well, but always from the Phantom Menace on, what we know about Shmi is that she let Anakin do what he wanted to do and felt compelled to do, Mm -hmm. even if she felt uncomfortable with it. 
and he had the autonomy to make and follow through with his own choices. So this is a completely linear character development for him. It's amazing to me that people find it unrelatable or that they find it awkward, the Anakin character arc, because as I've spent more time in my personal life looking into my relationships with myself, my relationships with other people, I see this arc occur in people fairly often. Yeah, I feel like you really relate to Anakin at this point in his trajectory. Uh, At the point he is at now in the Clone Wars, seasons one through four, I relate with him as me six, seven years ago. Mm. And that is a period of significant highs and lows in my own personal character arc. I was having a very uh, productive career. I was having a very, like, ostensibly productive life. But I was also really causing long-term problems for myself. Mm. And fortunately, I did not end up becoming a Sith Lord as part of my downfall, but I had to deal with a few things, you know, a few things came up. So bigger you are, the harder you fall, I guess. (laughs) You're in luck. Now you're dating a Sith manipulator. Yeah, yeah. So... (laughs) Circling back, but to the Sith manipulator, Palpatine, having the ear of Palpatine, having Palpatine always be your hype man in the mm. corner means that every time he does something, he's getting complimented. And that is why at the end of uh, Cat and Mouse, Admiral Ularen says, hey, this is really cool. I think I can work with you because I like with my extreme breadth and depth of war knowledge and your grasp of not unconventional tactics, I think mm-hmm. we'll form a good team. Mm-hmm. That sets a long-standing relationship that lasts all seven series of the Clone Wars, and in fact, the the character for Admiral Yularen is backported from Episode Four into the Clone Wars. What is backporting? Well, there's a real dude on the Death Star in Episode Four who's just like an old dude in like a Grand Admiral's uniform, and they're like, "Let's take this guy and." pretend that he's been working like he's been an admiral forever and he has been you know and that's that's his that's admiral yularen's character arc he's been an admiral for 20 years for the republic and he's he's an admiral for the empire for 20 years yeah which is very cool that is very cool he is a neat character one thing i will say about the clone wars in my limited understanding of it I do really appreciate that it gives you that time frame that I so missed in episodes one and two, Mm -hmm. which are really concise. They're concise moments in time. They're like a week, a couple days. I deeply appreciate being able to have the luxury of time to develop characters and relationships and arcs in the Clone Wars that we don't really have in the movies as much. I agree that that time is really important. Uh, when I first told you that the Clone Wars themselves took three years in the Star Wars universe, you were kind of like surprised because the TV show takes seven years. It's it's like how uh, MASH takes place and there's seven seasons of the series and it's about the Korean War, which is three years long. Yeah, seriously. So there's a distinct element of trying to fit a lot in 
And although we've only just told one story so far, as we go through the Clone Wars, there's multiple arcs with multiple characters going on simultaneously. Yeah, this is like what you were talking about in the beginning, where we have these pieces of the mosaic and we're puzzling them all together. Mm -hmm. And you get to have these beautiful little glass chips, these little pieces of the mosaic, which are characters like Admiral Yularen, who are now going to pop up even later into the Star Wars timeline, which is very cool. And we get to see tactical droids who become your new best enemy. I literally cannot stand them. I might even hate the tactical droids more than I hate Admiral Trench, which, you guys, (laughs) he like chitters with his little fangs. He's got like a cool waving stick to bonk droids. He has like this pretentious stick so he can like poke droids in the face with it. One sweet moment of retribution is when Trench realizes that Anakin is about to blow up his ship and all eight of his spider eyes close, bracing for impact. (laughs) Oh, it was so great. That's another thing that the Clone Wars does that you really couldn't have done live action, or at least not without significant expense, is you can make really funky characters have major roles. Yeah. You can have aliens as main characters, which you kind of can't. Yeah. It's difficult. It takes a really, really um, dedicated team of special effects, makeup artists, and costume designers to make that happen. Mm -hmm. That's something that the Star Wars universe has always had over other universes, is the aliens are just wild. You watch the weirdest episode of Star Trek versus just the cantina scene from episode four. And there's giant furry space worms running around. There's dudes in weird armor. There's Chewbacca by himself. Yeah, there's Twi'leks. There's there's all sorts of weird stuff. We get to see a lot of that in the Clone Wars. There is an interesting bit of coding in that the uh, Separatist aliens are generally uglier. Ooh. They're more non-human. Ooh, oh my god, you're right. So, Newt Gunray. Newt Gunray. Although Newt Gunray, I learned this recently. Uh, he's named after Newt Gingrich and Ronald Reagan because Ronald Reagan came up with the Strategic Defense Initiative, which was named Star Wars, the Star Wars Project, and never credited George Lucas for it. Are you kidding me? And when in 1994, Newt Uh, Newt Gingrich made his contract with America, which was the takeover of the Congress by the Republican Party in the 90s for the first time in like 50 years. You know, George Lucas was like, yeah, it's it's kind of slimy. I don't like it's this whole like very business centric idea. So I'm going to name Newt Gunray after Ronald Reagan and Newt Gingrich. Oh, that's delightful. I would have smacked a copyright infringement on him so fast. I mean, on on Ronald Reagan? Yes. 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 Uh, the president actually controls that, so you can't. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> what are you, you going to do? Serve him with papers? Yes. <laughs> oh, he's going to drive a tank to your house. <laughs> I'm George Lucas. I can do what I want. No. <laughs> George Lucas did not, in fact, own X-Wings to stop tanks. So, yeah, the aliens are very strange in the mm, Separatists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although later on, the Empire and the First Order are human-centric, which I find interesting as well. And aliens are the outsiders and being part of an inclusive outgroup that includes excluded peoples Mm. is thought of as a better thing later in the series. 
The Clone Wars is filling in um, a much needed gap for me in Star Wars, especially since we started with the prequels, Mm -hmm. which is that the prequels are so white centric and so human centric that I'm now getting that really delicious feeling from the Clone Wars that there's an entire galaxy out there full of different kinds of creatures who look different and sound different. And that is really it's easy on the eyes and it's just really fun to watch, too. The movies are also very male-centric, and we're very fortunate that uh, in our next episode, we're going to meet a character, a a strong female lead, who's part of a lot of episodes moving forward and is very important. Much needed, because this arc did not pass the Bechdel test. I do not believe there's a single female character who is shown or speaks in this two-episode arc. No, but if you look at the casting credits for both of those, there's only about six people. Let me check my notes here. The same character voiced C-3PO, Yoda, Bail Organa. <laughs> That's a hell of a resume. Mm-hmm. And in the Clones episode, it's literally just D. Bradley Baker sitting there in a room talking to himself. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no excuses for not having female representation, but that is very cool. Yes. It's, it's, one of the, it's another one of the very nice things about the TV format for Star Wars is you do end up having a very small voice acting cast and you could do really weird stuff with voice acting. How like I'm a spider. I know I've been making this noise for her and it freaks her out. It's great. <laughs> There's one final thing that I want to talk about mm-hmm. very quickly which is the confrontation scene between the clones. So Rex, Cody, and Slick, mm-hmm. and also Slick's battalion. Uh, platoon. Platoon, thank you. Okay, so there's a confrontation scene where the blame is getting laid on Chopper, mm-hmm. the clone, initially, but he's a scapegoat for Slick. Mm-hmm. And Slick says, I always knew you were deficient after realizing that Chopper has been collecting battle droid toes. Mm-hmm. Or fingers. I'm not, bits. I'm not excited about any of this, but okay, <laughs> we're going to skim over that. And Slick says, I always knew you were deficient. And I was like, man, what do you do with deficient clones? I mean, if they're precious as a resource, I'm not mm-hmm. even going to imply that they're precious as individual beings, because I don't know that the Jedi have that value system in place. But if they're precious as a wartime commodity... Do you send them back to the factory on Camino? I mean, are they disposed of? Uh, there's an interesting thing for that. And without any spoilers, I can tell you there's, in fact, an entire TV series that was launched recently called The Bad Batch. Oh. Mm-hmm. Which relates to that in a way. There's also some future episodes that are going to really meaningfully deal with that. Because there's just a lot of cool stuff with the clones and what makes a clone an exceptional one or run-of-the-mill. Because the whole series, Cody and Rex are already commanders. They're already as high as they can go. They're already very much top-tier clones. So it's interesting to look at the life paths that lead other clones on their way i wonder if just rex and cody showed up at the battle of geonosis and get promoted because there are so many deaths like you survived promotion whoa yeah anyway the reason that i want to talk about this like deficiency thing there's a back and forth between slick rex and cody slick is kind of justifying why he turned traitor 
against the clones. Right. And he says, at least I got something out of all of this suffering. She, meaning Asajj Ventress, Mm -hmm. offered me freedom. It's the Jedi who keep my brothers enslaved. And I love my brothers, but I just wanted something more. And there's so much to unpack there. There is. There's another bit right before that that really hit me, which is Anakin shows up. It's like, I'm very disappointed in you. He's like trying to pull a disappointed dad move and it kind of falls flat because it's much more serious than that. It really is. But then a slick saying you're all slaves to the Jedi. Yeah, which is so fascinating because first of all, we know that on Kamino, the clone's independent streak is edited out of their genetic makeup. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet the Clone Wars is putting a stake in the ground and saying anybody can become radicalized. Yes. Yeah. Which... Right right here at the very beginning of the Clone Wars, yeah. Which I don't know if you're living through the same 2021 that I am, but that hits pretty hard for me right in this moment of time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting when you talk to people about their radicalizing moment and wondering if Slick had one and what it was. Yeah. There was. Because just the idea of, you know, or maybe he just had a Sith manipulator in his life, but... I mean, clearly. The idea of recognizing that you were created to serve a purpose and that purpose will almost certainly result in your death without living any part of a life. It brings up the question, obviously we want to see Slick as the antagonist of this episode, Mm -hmm. but when you frame it like that, how can you blame him for taking autonomy over his own life? And so that's what flips it around when they say, that's fine and dandy, but all you had to do was betray your brothers. Mm-hmm. And that bond, as we talked about earlier, is the only people here are brothers. They think of each other as brothers. Mm-hmm. Which also is in the fight scene between Slick and Cody and Rex, which is a very cool fight scene. Uh, Slick is hiding up in the um, ventilation and Cody and Rex are talking through what they're going to do. Oh yeah, and they're tricking him. And they're tricking him. And they trick him and then they hold a gun to his face. And yeah. But they're all thinking the same mm. as each other. They know how they think. Mm-hmm. And so. Because they are the same. Because they're the same. Genetically. Yes. And by training. Like they're as similar as people can be. And so they do know how each other think, which is, which means that none of them are that far off from Slick. Mm-hmm. You're right. They are one Sith manipulator away for making a really radical choice. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, spoiler alert. That's not a spoiler alert. It is for... It's foreshadowing. Order 66. It's foreshadowing. Yeah, all right. Anyway, my overall impressions were these two arcs were really tightly plotted. They were less visually stunning than some of the forthcoming episodes in the chronology. None of them made me cry, mm-hmm. which we know many of the Clone Wars episodes can make me cry. But I think they were even more important for establishing the clone and Jedi dynamics Mm -hmm. than the pilot or any even of the season one uh, beginner episodes. So with Obi-Wan being mostly absent in Cat and Mouse Mm -hmm. and being, eh, he's having a relationship with, a weird relationship with Ventress. (laughs) There's a lot of sexual tension. There's a lot of sexual tension. (laughs) And R2, you know, being there, 
I want to know who your Bay was for these episodes. Are you saying that it's time for Baywatch? Yes. It's time for Baywatch! It's time for Baywatch! My Bay of this episode is a sleeper hit, a dark horse. Mm-hmm. It's Spark. <laughs> spark the rookie clone spark the rookie spark the rookie clone is my bay and i had to think long and hard about this because r2 my baby mm-hmm. is also in this arc and he actually is very central to the plot he helps um rex and cody discover that one of the clones has mm-hmm. been leaking intel and then they you know figure out that it's slick so r2 is very important but spark shows up on his first day of work He's got adorable painted armor. He's eager to please. He does a great job. I think he's a real cutie. So he's my bae. <laughs> they all look alike, babe. No, they don't. The clones? We have a mohawk. We've got a fauxhawk clone. They all have the same bone structure. He His energy is real golden retriever energy. I'm really here for it. Which makes sense. Spark is a golden retriever name. There you go. Who is your bae? Uh, the one, the only. Are you freaking kidding me? Admiral Trench <gasps> is really cool. Okay, he's a very worthy adversary. He shows up, he sees one ship fire two missiles, and then he fills the sky with lasers. He's like, there's a Jedi on board that in a cloaked ship. I know how to kill cloaked ships. He trash talks them and almost gets them. He actually does deliver a really spooky speech over Mm -hmm. Holocron. Like, there's a moment of palpable silence in Anakin's little ship where everyone's like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, I'll permit it. I mean, last episode, you did tell me I was allowed to have bad guys be bae. Yeah, I know, but that was for Christopher Lee, who's so great. And then next week, we're going to be watching the Clone Wars movie theatrical release, which finishes off the Christopsis arc and kind of opens up a few new ones. And that also introduces some new characters. Yay, I'm so excited. Yeah. I never thought that I was going to say that I'm excited to watch the Clone Wars. This is real character growth for me, but I'm very excited to keep watching the Clone Wars. I cannot wait to meet a strong female character in the movie which I've never seen, but I'm assuming. The fight goes on, gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah, for real. As always, you can find us on social media at Growing Up Skywalker. If you like the show, please leave us a review on your podcast app or send it to a friend. If you'd like to get access to fun goodies, including having your name read on the show, you can find us on Patreon. Which brings us to a very special segment. We get to say thank you to our first patrons. So a huge thank you to Allison and to Ben, who have become our very first two patrons. Yes. We're so excited to have you, and we have some really fun content coming your way. So, Thanks a bunch, you guys. We really appreciate it. Finally, if you have any questions, as always, please feel free to send us a listener holocron at growingupskywalker at gmail.com. Tune in next Tuesday for... The Clone Wars movie, at least half of it. Part one. Yeah. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye.